Thank you for downloading the IA podcast. The episode you're about to listen to was originally featured as a video on the IA's YouTube channel, IA London. But we've taken the audio and we've turned it into a podcast so that you can listen on the go. Enjoy. Uh, I'm joined today by a, a brilliant uh, expert panel. Uh, we've got Ian Murray, who is the Vice President of the Competitive Enterprise Institute in Washington, DC. We've got Aurelian Portways, who is Director of the Schumpeter Project at Information Technology and Innovation Foundation. Um, Aurelian has also written for the IEA a fascinating paper about dynamic competition, which you can find linked to below. And we have Cento Valzhanovsky, former research director at the IEA and now managing director of Case Associates and an academic fellow at the IEA. Thank you very much for joining me. I'm Victoria Houston, head of regulatory affairs at the IEA. Today we're talking about the latest round in the battles between competition regulators and big tech. On Wednesday, the Competition Appeals Tribunal here in the UK handed down its decision on the appeal by Meta against the CMA's order for it to undo its acquisition of the GIF provider Giphy. Giphy was a tiny company that only had about 10 employees, had never turned a profit, and didn't even have a clear way of making any money from providing those short little video clips that people use on social media. But because it was trying to use GIFs to carry advertising, the CMA had decided that it was a potential competitor to Facebook in the ad market in the UK, and therefore the acquisition was more likely than not to lead to a substantial lessening of competition in the UK. Facebook decided to appeal, but under competition law in the UK, the only grounds for review of its decisions in this situation are so-called judicial review grounds, which amounts to procedural matters and rationality. So you have to persuade the tribunal that the CMA either exceeded its powers, didn't follow the required process, or was so completely unreasonable in what it decided that no regulator could have rationally come to that conclusion. So Ian, you've written about this case in City AM this week. What was the outcome? Well, the uh, uh, Meta had appealed on six grounds, uh, most, uh, most of them to do with uh, rationality, matters of law, uh, and a couple of procedural grounds. And they lost on five out of the six grounds, but they won on one. That one was uh, a matter of procedure. Uh, it turned out uh, that the Competition Markets Authority had not let uh, Meta, or Facebook as it was at the time, know that uh, a competitor, a major competitor of it in social media terms, uh, Snap, uh, the makers of Snapchat, uh, had actually looked at buying Jiffy as well. And when they looked at, looked at it, they did their own due diligence and they reckoned that uh, the advertising business, the part of Jiffy, was actually worthless. Um, th th it was just all speculative. There was no real there there. Uh, and uh, so, so when Meta came in to try and buy Jiffy, uh, Snap just decided to get out of the bid, thought that Meta was paying far too much for it, actually, and, uh, and, and went ahead and bought a, a smaller competitor, uh, Jiffy Cat. Uh, or Giphy Cat. Uh, I'm never too sure whether it's a GIF or GIF, but anyway, uh, the, 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 they went ahead and did this. But the CMA knew this and never told Meta. And obviously, if 
a major competitor is uh, has considered buying uh, something and had uh, decided not to do so. Uh, you know that that, that uh, having that knowledge uh, could have affected the way that Meta argued its case. So uh, the, the the competition tribunal uh, said that, that that they should not only should they have done this, they were obligated to do so. They should have disclosed this knowledge to Meta. And not disclosing it uh, in the tribunal's word uh, words uh, undermined the entirety of the decision. So, uh, so they've invited responses as, as to what to do about that from both uh, from all the parties involved. But I, there were a couple of other things that were really interesting about the uh, tribunal's verdict. As you say, uh, uh, the, um, the, the, the tribunal is uh, not really allowed to comment or, or not really allowed to rule on the merits of the case. You know, did the CMA make the right decision or not? Um, so, so it couldn't do that. It said, you know, yep, they, they had a rational basis for doing it. Uh, uh, you know, uh, it. It's certainly not beyond the realms of possibility that, uh, that the situation that, uh, that CMA uh, uh, you know, speculated about could have come to pass. So yeah, they had a rational basis for doing so. However, they, they really did throw a couple of, uh, of big question marks at whether the, uh, the, the CMA had made the right decision. Uh, they, they suggested two things which I think are particularly interesting uh, and that I mentioned in that City AM piece. Um, one is that uh, perhaps the CMA ought to produce a cross-check, you know, a devil's advocate, if you will. You know, is our decision really, uh, re really right? And uh, if, if, if things do come out the way that, uh, that we want, will there actually be uh, a substantial lessening of competition for uh, reasons of, of a chilling effect or something like that. So, so they uh, asked the, the CMA to consider uh, introducing this cross-check. And the other thing was, you know, they, they did note that, uh, that this was uh, an international uh, matter. They noted that, uh, that the, 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 this was two American companies. And uh, while they said that, you know, that the, the, the law as it stands gives the CMA the jurisdiction to intervene on, on this because both uh, because um, Meta operates in, in Britain and uh, Giffy uh, might have uh, entered in Britain uh, into the British market. Uh, nevertheless, um, perhaps they should think about the international comedy aspects of this and whether it's uh, really uh, the, the reading between the lines, whether it's really a good idea for a British regulator to start trying to regulate uh, competition uh, mm. internationally. Yeah. Is the CMA really set up to be the world's regulator of antitrust uh, matters? So, yeah, well, that's a good question. <laughs> well, so thanks, Ian, that's a, that's a brilliant summary. So Chento, you're an experienced practitioner. You've been involved in matters in front of the Competition Appeals Tribunal many times. Now, the CMA, has um, reacted to this ruling by saying it's a ringing endorsement of its uh, decision on the, the Giphy acquisition. Uh, and obviously, you know, as Ian pointed out, they did win on um, five, of the, five of the six grounds. So they, they think they're in the clear and have, have basically uh, been, been vindicated by this decision. But isn't the, the procedural failure that was said to have undermined the decision, that seems a little bit embarrassing. And plus the sort of um, more advisory, almost obiter dicta steers that, that the cat 
uh, commented on. How, do you think that, in fact, this is not such a ringing endorsement as, as the CMA likes to, to, to claim? Yes, uh, I mean, I, I read the, the uh, judgment of the tribunal last night uh, very quickly. And what struck me was obviously this procedural thing, which has been amply uh, discussed by Ian, uh, which uh, one's got to think is slightly outrageous that you're keeping information away as you're making a decision about competition. So uh, that seems to breach natural justice in any <laughs> any book. What I think what I think as one reads it, uh, the, the tribunal's judgment, they're obviously hands tied behind their back a bit about commenting on the merits of the, of the and substantive issues of the case. I think what they said about uh, the uh, issue of static competition, potential competition, dynamic competition is quite an interesting discussion. Um, but at the end of the day, it said that as the CMA moved to this dynamic competition framework, uh, as I read the judgment very quickly, it said, well, the CMA has the margin of discretion to almost do anything it likes. <laughs> it's, it's speculation versus someone else's speculation. Um, and of course, it, uh, unless it's really uh, uh, rendered a flawed judgment. Uh, um, but we, we have a situation where these uh, companies are not effectively operating. Okay. They're not uh, horizontally competitive. They're competitive in one uh, potentially is word potential of the market, but the CMA will have the right to look three to three years ahead, which normally does. The tribunal's judgment said, you know, perhaps five years is a longer margin. But one can't come away from that uh, decision by saying that the CMA was obviously uh, spitting its dummy out about letting all these other mergers in the past, this so called 400 mergers that were cleared without any. Uh, significant uh, investigation or decision against them. It's now picked one of them and it showed flexed its muscles. Uh, but I think if you're looking at this judgment from the outside, and I've not been involved in it in any way, you're thinking to yourself, well, is this an arbitrary decision or a decision that reflects a, a significant change in policy that these big techs come anywhere near a, a, a product or a uh, a firm that looks potentially competitive with it, which would, would probably be anything, <laughs> any product, uh, that they're, they're going to be denied. So is this decision tantamount to a blanket uh, prohibition on these type of mergers? So I'll leave it there. For, I'm sure Aurelian has a, a lot to say on that. Yeah, so Aurelian, from where you're sitting in, in, the, in the US, um, how, how has this case been seen? Has it raised any comment? You know, on the face of it, it does seem a bit cheeky of the CMA uh, to make a decision here about two US-based businesses with quite a slim uh, basis on the effects of competition in the UK. Um, or perhaps from the other side, are commentators in the US getting quite excited about this because they would quite like your regulators um, to, to follow suit? Yeah. So. I will provide my analysis. Uh, I, I don't know what the commentators are going to say in the next few uh, few days, but I think to me, um, so first, thank you for having me. It's a great uh, discussion and great panel uh, to have on this very key uh, decision. Uh, for me, reading the judgment is going to be 
for the C, for, for, for the CMA is going to be a pyrrhic victory in the sense that mm -hmm. I think it's a, it's a it's a it's a win in the in the amidst many lo loses. Um, let, let me tell you why because we we may uh, as Jan uh, referred to there may be some procedural gains for uh, meta and substantive losses on the decision and and this is not just like a procedural. Uh, incidental uh, gain. I think it's massive and it will have a massive effect uh, in the decision to be uh, to, to, to come uh, by the CMA. Just some example, the day after the meta decision, we had in the European Union, in the, by the European Commission, a decisions annulling 1 billion euro fine for Qualcomm also on procedural grounds because the 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 the, the, the the antitrust analysis of the European Commission was flawed. Back in January, for the same reasoning, because of flawed procedural uh, uh, safeguards and the lack of, uh, of evidentiary basis of the conclusion that the, the European Commission has reached, the, Euro the General Court has annulled a 1 billion fine also for Intel. So this is just to tell you that the lack for the European Commission or the CMA or for any kind of antitrust agency, the lack to really consider the argument of different parties and what in the judgment they say, the fair access to trial, the, the, the real equal right of defense. This is not an incidental or ancillary question because at the end of the day, you assess whether or not competition has been suppressed. And if you completely ignore very important evidentiary elements that will make you conclude whether or not this, the, 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 the competition has been suppressed or not, then there will be a massive impact in the substantive yeah. term. So what I'm saying is that I think this, this victory is a perfect victory because I have hard time seeing the CMA confirming the decision given the lag that, as we saw that, we didn't know the, the, the valuation of, uh, of Jiffy where Facebook has offered double the price of the market value uh, for Jiffy. Uh, they didn't provide also some explanation that Snapchat has, uh, uh, has wanted to, to buy uh, Jiffy and then just uh, give up uh, that, uh, that, that acquisitions. All these elements show that the acquisition of, of, of Jiffy by, by Facebook, it looks like a very traditional vertical integrations as opposed to the horizontal suppression of competition that is precisely argued in, in the decisions. So it looks like if you take these elements into considerations, it looks like, well, the competitor to uh, Facebook here, Snapchat, was just doing exactly the same thing, integrating with the GIF provider. And, and, and that is very a, a very important element to take into considerations. And so I think this will have a major impact on substantive elements. And also just to, to have uh, precisely some, um, uh, an opinion from the, from the US where there is a Facebook claim. And again, on the procedural grounds, on the lack of um, appropriate definition of market, uh, uh, the, the, the Facebook complaint by the FTC has been fully rejected, was not even accepted by the judge because the market definition of whether or not Facebook is a, is a monopolist in the social uh, media networking services or the personal uh, social media networking services uh, was not carried out properly. 
and therefore the complaint was rejected. It was refiled subsequently. But still, uh, what I'm saying is that procedural uh, errors lead to a complete flawed analysis of the, 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 con the competitive constraints in a given market. And, and therefore it leads to flawed conclusion. So I think it's, a, it's definitely a pyrrhic victory. And, um, and, and I think it will force the CMA to completely uh, revise and reassess its own assessment. Um, and I think, I mean, I also try to make sense of the CMA decisions. I think um, the CMA has been very, uh, very aggressive towards uh, Facebook. Uh, trying to make sense of that over the last few years. I think they try to do a uh, bad service of what they have done, uh, being perhaps generous with the Facebook and Instagram acquisitions. So what the CMA is doing here is to be overly aggressive because they don't want to, they, they don't want to be accused of uh, making the same mistake and whatever. And, and that is wrong because assessing the Facebook and Instagram merger is one thing, assessing the Facebook and Jiffy merger is completely another thing. Uh, you may see kind of Facebook and Instagram a kind of horizontal merger, some, some sort of, uh, in the Facebook GP case, it's fully a vertical integration uh, case where, I mean, some sort of deference uh, should be, uh, should be, um, should be uh, warranted. Uh, yeah, I mean, Aurelian alludes to an important point there, which is we don't yet know what the final impact will be of this finding about the withholding of information. It could be actually that the tribunal will order the CMA to go back and conduct its uh, investigation again afresh, having done the necessary procedural disclosures. So, um, and they may well come to the exact same conclusion again, of course, but that's a, that's a slight uh, uh, additional layer of complexity here, which um, is yet to be decided, as I understand it, by the CAT as to exactly what they're going to, to make them do to remedy that procedural failure. But to me, it's, you know, again, as, as, as you've all mentioned, this is um, very much another manifestation of the, of the general policy that the CMA uh, the European Commission, the, the US regulators as well, have, have been taken to uh, crack down on and be seen to be cracking down on big tech and the supposed anti-competitive practices of big tech. Uh, the EU's obviously got the, the Digital Markets Act, which focuses on these so-called gateway com companies uh, in a very prescriptive way, actually. And in the UK, the CMA itself is looking for uh, new powers to intervene on digital uh, companies that are considered to be uh, strategically uh, significant. But Chento, you and I are working on a paper on, on this at the moment about this new digital markets unit within the CMA. And one of the points that we've been looking at is that arguably the CMA has already got all the powers that it needs and the new powers that the government's going to, to give it are um, excessive and are actually in danger of harming competition and innovation rather than preserving them. Do you think that this case uh, supports that contention? Because you know the CMA has proven that it's actually got huge powers to act on quite yes. speculative grounds. 
Yes, our, our hypothesis has been proven by this case. <laughs> One example. No, I, I think uh, I think this illustrates a, an element of the dynamics of uh, competition authorities and regulatory authorities. They they have the powers. They they will say, and merger merger investigations are, are time limited, so they have to do something within the I think it's a three month period, or ask for an extension of time as opposed to you know, an investigation into a monopolistic practice, which can go on for years, if not decades, when the appeal process starts off. But in this case, they've done it very quickly. They've uh, set out a, a theory of harm, which is, some would argue, is one-sided. And I think Ian uh, draw, drew attention to the tribunal's statement that perhaps the CMA might want to think about looking at the adverse effects of its decision to block a merger or to impose conditions that you know it can't just have a one-way street to saying that any hint that in the in the future the distance distant future that this this uh, firm or product would be potentially uh, massively competitive in one of the three markets it delineated uh, they can't just go down that route and say well you know there is a reasonable chance that this might lead to an anti-competitive effect in some under specified future. They must also say, well, what is the consequences if you're wrong? And, uh, you know, you kill off Giphy because you can't get the funding. I'm not saying that that's the case, but it might be one of the outcomes or it's stillborn or Meta Facebook develops its own uh, GIF uh, uh, application that competes and knocks out Giphy or, you know, there, there are a number of scenarios or, case, or different uh, forecasting paths that could uh, arise from this. So I think that's the first thing. The second thing, th this, to my mind, highlights the danger of giving the CMA regulatory powers now, because in a competition case, they have to build a case from the ground up and they have to uh, analyze the uh, data that's available. Uh, and in this case, they, they might have analyzed some of the data, but they didn't give the rights to, to the uh, the acquiring party to come back and, and, and give an alternative explanation or an alternative theory of harm. But if they have regulatory powers, then the regulatory powers are almost by definition top down. They're prescriptive and you apply them. And we've seen from the experience of the uh, re regulatory authorities who have concurrent powers to implement competition rules in the gas sector, in the telecom sector, in the water sector. They have in the past, and I think they've been pulled up very reluctant to use their competition powers. And the reason is simple. It's much more difficult to build a case up factually than to say, we think there's a problem and here's a regulatory solution to a perceived problem. So regulators like that because it conserves resources. It doesn't take too much intellectual energy. You can just go for it. And uh, you might notice some problems with our energy sector uh, when those type of uh, approaches are taken. So, we have now housed within the competition and market authority, this DM digital market unit, which at some stage will get regulatory powers. And so you'll have a, a unit that, uh, or a regulatory authority or competition authority that has both competition powers and separately regulatory powers. And it's not even not clear that, you know, the competition limit could bring a competition action when there's a regulatory intervention mm -hmm. or some other party can bring their own standalone action uh, there. So I think, very long in a way of vindicating ourselves a bit.
So Ian, what's the um, what's the position in the US? Because I know there's been various bills being pushed and also executive sort of policy changes being proposed to allow the FTC, uh, the Federal Trade Commission, to be more proactive uh, in take, taking on, as they would say it, uh, the, the tech giants. What's the uh, what's the prognosis at the moment? Are any of these bills likely to succeed? Um, and you know, do, do they actually have good grounds? Do you think maybe for changing the way the regime currently works? Yeah, I mean, the, 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 this is a huge question. It's one of the biggest questions in American politics at the moment. Uh, the, the, Back in the 1970s, uh, our, and there was general agreement that our antitrust laws were in a mess, uh, that, uh, that, that they were used uh, on a whim by regulators, powers were used on a whim by regulators, and uh, there, there, there wasn't a, a, a good sense about what the antitrust laws were actually there for. Were they there to protect competition? or whether they, they there to protect competitors. And that debate uh, sort of uh, uh, was, was solved by uh, uh, a, a wonderful jurist named uh, Judge Robert Bork. Uh, he actually became very famous as, a, as a President Reagan's nominee to the Supreme Court who was turned down uh, uh, by, by the Senate in, in, a, in a sort of show trial. Um, but, uh, but, but he, uh, he he posited uh, a, th a theory which came to dominate uh, the, the, the legal establishment's uh, view of antitrust, which is that antitrust laws are there to protect consumer welfare. And so you can have uh, a monopoly, you can charge whatever prices you like and so on, uh, but if, if it enhances consumer welfare, then there is no grounds for antitrust action. Uh, that the, so that's been the the, uh, the 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 agreed consensus for over fifty years, but it, it's it's now falling apart. There's uh, uh, there's a view now that competitors do actually deserve to be uh, to, to, to be protected, um, and and this view is actually coming from conservatives as well as from leftists uh, over here. So the politics is very muddled. And as a result of, uh, of this model politics, what we have is something like six, I think, bills, uh, Aurelian can probably uh, correct me on that. I think there are six bills that, that are currently before the, before the Senate uh, or, or the House uh, in one form or another. Uh, but of those, uh, only one really has a chance of actually get, going to a vote. Uh, and the, the prospects for that are, in, are slightly limited precisely because of the, the model politics I mentioned. Uh, the, uh, the, the left and the right uh, are both argue that, that, that action needs to be taken, but they argue different reasons for that. Uh, and so, you know, so, for instance, on social media uh, issues, uh, the left wants more suppression of speech, the right wants less uh, suppression of speech, and the, uh, the, they both say that there should be a regulator that that uh, that has powers over this, but if if you don't agree whether the problem is more suppression or less suppression, then you're you're not going to like the result. Yeah. So, so even that, uh, so, so even the one law that uh, that, that is uh, that has a chance of coming to the Senate floor, there's it's a bill by Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar. Um, that that has uh, yeah that, that has a, a good prospect of coming to the floor, but even there, uh, yeah, I, I I don't think they'll advance it to a vote unless they know it's going to pass. So uh, it, it, 
at, at the moment, what we're seeing instead, uh, because of, of this legislative sort of uh, flux, uh, we're seeing that the, the, the uh, FTC chairman, Lena Khan, um, is trying to uh, use powers uh, that, that she thinks are latent powers, essentially, of the, uh, of the FTC. They've been in abeyance uh, during this period of consumer welfare theory. Uh, so she's trying to make the FTC a bit more activist. Uh, for instance, um, they're going to look at the labor effects of, uh, of mergers. You know, will a merger lead to people losing their jobs? That's never really been part of FTC analysis before, but Lena Khan is, is going to use the FTC's powers in interesting ways. Uh, but of course, over here, unlike in the UK, any decision of the FTC can be appealed to the courts. And uh, and the merits of the uh, of the case will will become apparent and will be questioned. And in all probability, they will apply the consumer welfare theory uh, to to, uh, to 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 any decision the courts take. So they've got a long way to go. Uh, but that's because of the built-in checks and balances that we have in the American system, which unfortunately uh, are no longer present in the British. Yes, it it, it sounds like the political paralysis and. Uh litigiousness in in the united states might actually be the be the saving grace uh be the saving grace here um and yes i mean it's interesting because it's obviously a conservative government in the uk that's pushing these extremely intrusive regulatory measures although actually it does look like they might be run into the sand a little bit at the moment in terms of getting the legislation passed which uh, potentially, of course, might lead to a similar situation where the CMA is going to push um, its own uh, activism using the powers that it's already got and push that to the to the limit. Um, but unfortunately, we're almost out of time, Aurelian, I'm going to come to you last of all. I know you've been very worried about what essentially amounts to a precautionary approach in antitrust um, that is supposed to be safeguarding innovation and competition, um, but actually might have the, the opposite effects. Can you just give us a flavor of what you think is at stake here in terms yeah. of, uh, yeah. you know, the importance of this and the, the impact of this precautionary approach? Yeah, just to build on what uh, Ian has just said, uh, antitrust is about improving the consumer welfare standard and should remain guided by the consumer welfare standard. And, and we are in a world where companies compete disruptively there's disruptions everywhere and, and that's why this concept of competing dynamically you know for not, not for making profit in the short run but incurring massive loss running a platform creating an app and then potentially in the very long run having some potential profit perhaps yet or, yes or not i mean if you look at for example just come back to the jiffy it was not profitable, right? It was very not, very innovative, but it was not profitable. So the, this is a, a real risk, but that's great. That's what we want, right? We want entrepreneurs to create brilliant ideas and somehow to find ways to fund these ideas. Can be by IPOs or can be by mergers. It can be by vertical integrations. That's fine. But I think it shouldn't be for antitrust regulators to reduce these uh these different alternatives for firms to grow right uh, uh acquisitions is one of ways for firms to grow and that issue remain I mean, just to come back very quickly to the GFE and, and 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 meta decisions which is interesting what is interesting in that decision is that they 
clearly, and, and, and Chento referred to it, they clearly discussed the concept of dynamic competition. They even referred to uh, David Thies, who was a member of uh, the advisory board of the Schumpeter project. Uh, and I think it's on page 20 of, 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 yeah, the, of, the, of the judgment. They refer to that concept of dynamic competition. That's great. But unfortunately, they misunderstand the concept of dynamic competition in the sense that for a paper that I wrote for, uh, for you, uh, Victoria, on the two, that two uh, meanings of dynamic competitions, I discussed the Hayek and Schumpeterian idea of dynamic competition, which are great ideas. But the, the issue is that the neo-Brandesians, as referred, has used the concept of dynamic competition in order to revert back to a structuralist view of the market. There is no competition dynamically, according to them, if the market structure is not populated by small firms. And, and that is not dynamic competition as we understand it. To have small firms that can compete dynamically, that's great. But dynamic competition can also take place by the large firms who compete dynamically. Here, in the case of Meta, they were competing against Snapchat, TikTok, Google, the big one, they were not competing with GFE. And that is a misunderstanding by the CMA. And, and, and I think the CAT has hinted to some flaws. And that's why the upcoming decisions by the CMA may completely uh, uh, come back on this, uh, come, uh, come back to this uh, decision. There is a dynamic competition in, in a way that companies can improve their product in order to integrate, in order to, let's say, the bad word, monopolize the market in the short term, in order to compete with the larger incumbents, with the larger. I mean, the, the founder, the CEO of GFI, I saw, I saw some interviews many years ago of him. He said, what we want for GFI is to be the Google of GIFs. He wanted to be the Google of GIFs. Like you just, you, you search for GIFs and you find GIFs. So they were more in competition with Google than with Facebook. So that's something very interesting to, to have in mind. Jiffy was uh, the Google for Jiff trying to compete with Google and they didn't monetize the product. They failed, they clearly failed. And that's precisely what the CATA has, has revealed that they, they, some informations were not disclosed, which were, which were crucial information. And, and they failed to monetize it. And so that's why the concept of dynamic competition by integration, by scaling up, by reaching out to the consumers and improving the, 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 the product and, and improving the consumer experience every day is so important. And, and just to refer to what Ayana said, like if the antitrust regulators end up decreasing the consumer experience, decreasing the consumer benefits, then of course it just go on collision course with the consumer welfare standard, which is inherent to the antitrust laws or at least how, how we understand and how we interpret antitrust laws. So it's great that the CATA refer to dynamic competition, but I think it needs more readings and more research in order to better understand what's dynamic competition. Dynamic competition is not the potential competition by not buying any startup because this startup may be the next Google or the next Facebook. That's not the case. That's, this is not what happened. And it's not what entrepreneurs think like. The entrepreneurs don't want to be the next Google. They want to be the next uh, uh, Facebook. They want to be multi-millionaire or billionaires, but in different ways, in different markets, in different... That sectors. we don't even know about yet. Exactly. Yeah. And, 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 and so I think I see some, some improvement because 
the uh, regulatory authorities start to think about dynamic competition, start to think about innovation, start to think basically about the unintended consequences of over-regulating and by pushing harder this concept of competition as decentralized market. So they start thinking about the unintended consequence of that, but unfortunately they haven't draw the conclusion of this 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 thinking and we see it today with the ca with the cat uh, decisions but i'm hopeful that the cma decisions in the in in uh, that is forthcoming may better integrate the concept of dynamic competition dynamic competition is protecting the dynamic capabilities of firms to innovate it's not to deconcentrate markets in order to speculate on the fact that the next uh, a startup uh, in created in a garage will be the next uh, Google or, or Facebook so that you prevent any merger. Uh, that's not uh, doing full service to antitrust laws. And it's, of course, it will harm uh, consumers. Well, perhaps a, a slight note of optimism there from, from Aurelian that uh, dynamic competition will prevail in the end. Thank you very much uh, for joining us. That's been a, a fascinating discussion. Uh, please, um, everybody, look out for the paper by Cento and me about the UK's Digital Markets Unit, which is coming soon. Uh, if you've enjoyed this video, please subscribe to the YouTube channel and give us a like. Um, and we'll see you soon. Thank you very much. Bye bye.